Good morning, Redeemer. So great to be with you. We're nearing the end of our journey with Paul and Acts and his friends. And uh, wow, what a story today. God with Paul and friends in the storm. Acts 27, beginning in verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Since much time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon... A tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda. We managed with difficulties to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men... You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now, I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar." And behold, God has granted you all these who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the rope of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, 
He took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the weed into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Lord God, you are not only Lord of the storm, you are Lord with us in the storm. You are the Lord present with us. Jesus, even as you were present in the boat with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee to bring them through the storm to the other side, so you are with us now in the storms that we face. Lord, be with us today. Overcome our fears with hope and life in you. May we worship you in spaces even like this. May we too break bread and give thanks and worship in your name. And may you bring us through to the other side. And while we voyage, Lord, Lord, may you use us. May you empower us for witness in your kingdom. And we pray this all, Christ, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the last 10 days to two weeks have been filled with me sort of watching people pass through storms. We can see the ones far away, the global ones in the Middle East, and and peoples in Israel and Gaza suffering horribly, and massive storms raging there from far away. We can see the storms in our nation's capital as the political party that's empowered to lead the House of Representatives cannot even find someone to be Speaker of the House and carry our government forward. That, 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 that just, we can't even begin there, right? We see that storm. We see the ones closer at hand, and I've, I've seen some of yours, plans for a family put on hold and sort of dashed on the rocks. Um, marriages struggling. Families rifting and, and sort of being pushed, pulled apart. Storms are so real. They're all around us. You know, the early Christians loved the image of being in the boat with Jesus like the first disciples on the Sea of Galilee and, uh, and with storms all around them. We've got a Rembrandt uh, print for you right out there. There's the one of the prodigal son coming home and the father embracing him as he's dressed in tatters. And then there's the one 
of the disciples with the ship. It's in the Renaissance period, right? But still the church loved that image of saying, we're people in the boat with Jesus and there are storms raging all around us. Scripture is filled with these kind of spaces. Uh, in 1 Kings 22, you have Jehoshaphat who wants to make a fleet to go out like Solomon had before him and, and to go out and do trade on all the Mediterranean Sea. And the ships are wrecked before they can even set sail by a storm that hits them in port. We, Psalm 107 that Matt used to lead us into worship has these unnamed people trying to do business, merchants out on the sea, and God sends storms on them and lifts them almost into the heavens, the waves are so high. And there's this picture of, of God's people constantly being in real storms. At sea, Jonah, right, tries to run away from God and his place in God's mission, and God hurls a storm at him, you know, to bring him back, to send him not to the other side of the Mediterranean world, but to Nineveh to share his good news. And then there are those disciples in the boat with Jesus saying, we're perishing, Lord. We're about to capsize. Do you care? There's the time, the disciples, another time, where they were rowing, trying to get across the Sea of Galilee late at night, and the winds are so strong against them, and Jesus comes walking out to them on the water at night. And here we have Paul, this biggest kind of storm at sea, story in terms of volume. And, and all of these really are sort of placeholders for us for the storms that we face. Those literal storms at sea, right, are sort of placeholders and doorways onto all the storms that we face, physical, relational, emotional, psychological, spiritual, financial, vocational, familial, and all the rest. How is Jesus with us in the storm? That's what we want to see as we just sort of use Paul's story as a window onto all of that for us. First, consider that Jesus is going to win over the storms. Luke's this brilliant writer. He, he is this, remember, this is his second volume, and he loves to kind of compare Paul with Jesus all the way through. Jesus, right, made all kinds of journeys and ends up in Jerusalem in crisis. Paul makes all kinds of journeys, even further and wider ones, right, than Jesus does, but he ends up in Jerusalem in crisis. Jesus is attacked by Jewish authorities and handed over to the Romans. Paul is attacked by Jewish authorities and handed over to the Romans. Jesus has mock trials against him under a Roman governor with uh, Herod uh, brought in on the side, this Jewish kind of figurehead. Paul has mock trials under Roman governors with a Jewish figurehead, Herod Agrippa, brought in on the side. And finally, Jesus, right, is brought under the waves of suffering, of passion, of death, of the grave, to rise again. And here's Paul brought under these waves in the middle of this ocean, right? In this massive storm. And yet though the boat breaks apart, Paul and those with him come to the other side. Luke is sort of saying for Paul, 
His life is merged together with Jesus' life. Jesus goes through all of these things. This suffering, this death, this passion, this crucifixion, this life dead in the grave to be raised up again to give life to the world, yes. But also, we will live that with Him. Our lives are merged together with Him. So Paul's sort of picturing there, Luke is showing us in this beautiful literary portrait that Paul's going to kind of walk the same way Jesus walked. We're going to kind of walk the same way Jesus walks. We're going to go through storms. We're going to have the boat, as it were, completely wrecked and yet brought through on the other side. Jesus wins, and He will win in the middle of our storms as He's with us in these storms. He's continuing to extend His victories, as it were, through Paul being with Him in the storm, through us as He's with us in the storm. Uh, I, I saw this meme passed through on Facebook on Friday, and it just captured me. One of my friends posted it. It's Pastor Sean Lucas in Memphis, Tennessee, and I, I got so moved by it, I did something I never do, which is post on my own Instagram, and took it and credited him and posted it there. It's a quote from John Bunyan. John Bunyan, the guy who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, the lay preacher uh, in England in the Reformation period. And, and Bunyan says this, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. I was just mesmerized by that, captured by that. And, and see, Bunyan had to experience that to live that in the middle of even a jail cell being imprisoned in Reformation England for preaching without a license, for preaching without being licensed by the Anglican church, without being inside the bounds of the church facility in an Anglican parish. Because he preached in the open, because he preached unlicensed, he was jailed for that in Reformation England. Craziness. Storms away, from, but in that jail cell, he had to take in the gospel in a way he never had before. It led him to begin to write Pilgrim's Progress in that jail cell. And so, in our storms, wherever they are for you, maybe it is your family's in a hard space, maybe your marriage is in a hard space, maybe your career is in a hard space, maybe your health is in a hard space. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by the violence that you see in the world or, or that things really aren't changing socially or politically around you. And you're just so overwhelmed. You're swamped, as it were, by these things. Jesus is there with you to say, my gospel is real. I have won. I have overcome. And you will overcome together with me. You have forgiveness in life, even in these most difficult of spaces, and I will bring you through to the other side. Jesus wins over storms, even in our storms. Secondly, consider that Jesus not only wins over the storm, 
He's reigning during the storm. He's present in the storm and even ruling over the storm. Isn't it interesting the way, if you caught it in the call to worship Matt gave us from Psalm 107, it's God who causes the waves to rise up, the storms to come while the people are at sea. For Paul, ultimately, he has this sense that God is the one stewarding this, that God is the one present in all of this, that God is the one reigning over all of this. He says, whatever the Lord has shown me, I have no doubt that will happen. He has this overwhelming sense of the sovereignty of our God in this place. Now notice, it's not wooden. We think of this, we talk about this in our Reformed and Presbyterian circles so often, and we kind of just sort of treat it like it's a math equation or something. You take your situation, you add the sovereignty of God over it, and you have perfect peace and happiness and blessing. <laughs> no. <laughs> there are a lot more factors, there's a lot more movement in the equation. Consider where Paul starts with all this. Guys, we shouldn't even start off on this voyage. Like, I'm telling you, this is going to be bad. He's concerned. He's anxious, right? Before they even get started. He knows he has to go to Rome. He knows he's been called to stand before Caesar. He knows that God has shown him again and again that he must get there. But he's saying, we should not do this. This is going to be bad. There is going to be much loss of cargo and life. Notice what Luke says kind of down in the middle of the section. When the storm is there, right in the middle of the storm, Luke says, and we abandon all hope of being saved. That's Luke writing that. He didn't say, Paul didn't, wasn't like that. <laughs> we abandon hope of being saved. You can tell Paul's anxious. You know, I, I, I hate that I'm so much like Paul in the Bible in the bad ways. I wish I was more like him in the good ways with his boldness and his massive fruitfulness and witnessing and his courage, right? But I'm like him in the bad ways. I, I'm, I'm kind of a hard person sometimes to deal with. You can just tell Paul's hard to deal with. Here they are, they're in the middle of this storm, and he's about to tell them that God has given him a new vision to encourage them. And he says, I told you so. <laughs> Now, I told you guys we shouldn't have ever left Crete. What a jerk. <laughs> one of the things that my wife's sitting back in the back, I, one of the things I love about Fran, Doug, and Han is when I do the stupidest things that land me and sometimes her along with me into crisis, she has never told me I told you so. Like, I don't think ever. Paul goes, I told you so. <laughs> and yet, he has hope. He says, God has come and shown me I must get to Rome. Show me anew that. And He is going to bring me through this storm and you together all with me. The ship is going to be lost, but not a hair of your heads will perish. Jesus reigns. Right in the middle of the storm, he's ruling over all things. Right even in the middle of the storm, 
for the good of His church to meet us, to create a weight of glory in us, to make us who only He can make us through these kinds of trials. Jesus is reigning there. Think about Jonah. Think about the storm that God hurls on Jonah. Yes, because Jonah is disobeying, trying to go to the other side of the world away from Nineveh. But God hurls the storm at him. Ultimately, it's going to send Jonah to the bottom of the sea in, into a whale's belly, right? All of this. And yet God is sovereign over all of that to begin to make Jonah not perfectly and completely in this life, but to begin to make him a new person, a person who's still in his brokenness, in his pain and in his anger and his rage, can go to Nineveh and deliver his message. He begins a new sort of epoch, a new kind of quantum work in Jonah's life right down there in the bottom of the waves. That's what he wants to do in you and in me. Because he reigns there in love, to care, to move, to work. I put in the front of your bulletin, if you go there on the Reflections page, and Jacob played it for us um, in, in, the, in the prelude section. It's one of my favorite hymns of all time. It's sung, the only time you ever hear it is if like you go to a funeral and someone's been in the Navy uh, this was played in Prince Philip's funeral and memorial service and sang as a quartet uh, in, in this beautiful fashion. You can look that up online. But it's Eternal Father, Strong to Save. It's, it's our naval hymn. I'm going to just read it and let you follow along. Eternal Father, strong to save, whose arm hath bound the restless wave, who bids the mighty ocean deep, its own appointed limits keep. Oh, hear us when we cry to Thee for those in peril on the sea. O Christ, whose voice the waters heard and hushed their raging at Thy word, who walked upon the foaming deep and calm amidst its rage did sleep. Oh, hear us when we cry to Thee for those in peril on the sea. O Holy Spirit, who didst brood upon the waters dark and rude and bid their angry tumult cease and give for wild confusion peace. Oh, hear us when we cry to Thee for those in peril on the sea. O Trinity of love and power, Your children's shield in danger's hour from rock and tempest, fire and foe, Protect them wheresoe'er they go. Thus evermore shall rise to thee glad hymns of praise from land and sea. The hope expressed here is that even when we're in the greatest spaces of peril, what God is doing, Father, Son, and Spirit, all working uniquely together, are moving to make us people who can more and more sing His praises, whether we're in a storm at sea or whether we're safely on the land. Which brings us to the third point here and last today, is that Jesus not only is going to win over the storms of our lives and through us win victory, He's not only reigning and present to renew us and to love us,
to care for us, to make us worshipers in that space, like Paul breaking bread and giving thanks after 14 days of darkness where they haven't seen the night, right? Here's Paul giving you that sacramental imagery, right, of worshiping even in that space. But what Jesus also does is empowers you in the storm. He wants to use you. He wants to use you like He used Jonah, right? To help a whole ship full of pagan sailors turn to the God of heaven and earth, the God of the winds and the waves. He wants to use you the way Paul is used here to help people see that there is a one true God reigning over all this, working all over this. That we break bread and we give thanks in His name. Think about how the centurion is changed by all of this. This gruff, you know, Roman soldier who who is who's you know got standard operating procedure right to put any prisoner who might escape to death. And when the soldiers want to execute that plan, he says, "No, no, no. No, no, no. This is going to be about life. Because the God, a God, the God, has moved here." He begins to be changed, right? And you can see it through the way he relates to Paul and and the way he wants to save life. God wants to use you in the middle of your storms, not just to give praise, whether you're on sea or land, right? But to use you to uniquely witness to him, to be a herald of your hope, your confidence in the victory of Jesus in those spaces, not woodenly, not mechanically, not stoically, but working through all the range of your emotions and trusting the Lord through all of it. God wants to use you there to empower you for kingdom, life, and witness, especially during your storm. Uh, Fran and I have some friends who are... um, the husband is is waiting for a liver transplant. And he's top of the list at a certain facility and they've been waiting there for two weeks and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And uh, the way they're sharing their journey, the way they're looking to Jesus, not just to bring them through all the medical side of this, but trusting Jesus in the middle of it, admitting their fears, their doubts, their struggles, even their kind of anger at the situation, right? But they're clinging to Jesus and the way Jesus is meeting them and sustaining them. It is witnessing so powerful to us as we pray alongside them in this little text thread of friends that they have. When we are clinging by faith to Jesus in these spaces, it speaks so powerfully, doesn't it, to each other in the body but beyond us to the watching world, right? It, it shows there's, there's something here beyond all this. There's, there's a hope in this darkness. There's a life that's truly life here. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, you know, who lived that in the middle of Nazi Germany, went back from America, back to Nazi Germany when things were about to completely implode to, to form a kind of underground seminary, Right? and a community of Christians that would, that would resist the Hitler regime, the Nazi regime, quietly, through prayer, through presence, through words at times. And, and Bonhoeffer just says, there, 
got to be something about our lives as Christians, particularly in the middle of trials, that allows others who don't believe to question their unbelief. May the Lord make that so with us as we go through storms and trials. I, I'll just leave you with this. Yesterday, I'm so proud. I got up early on my Saturday. I'm going to get a nice workout in early. So I kind of dust off my bicycle, get the tires pumped up, get it ready to go, and go out riding in my neighborhood all early in the morning while it was still dark. And I really was just getting started in going, and, and I was riding into the Trinity campus there in our neighborhood in Monta Vista. And, and, uh, and I come under one of the many, many oak trees on campus, and I just get pounded by this massive acorn. It just comes down on my head. It clatters around the frame of my bike and on the ground. What is this? You know, and I realize, oh, it's an acorn. And I thought, you know, I've watched in the neighborhood acorns fall to the ground and on trucks. I said, I've never really had an acorn follow me while riding a bike. How unique. Well, it's because I've not lived in the land of 10 million acorns, right, in San Antonio before. If we are going to endure with the Lord, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be in the boat with Him, don't think it's unique when you're going to a storm. It's not unique. It is the Jesus way. But it is a way to win there, to be lovingly present and ruling and caring for you there, to empower you to uniquely be His ambassador in that space to the eternal Father who is strong to save. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for this good Word of Your presence, Jesus, of Your presence, Holy Spirit of Your presence with us in storms. Lord, forgive me. I'm so weak and, and, and just kind of shallow in my faith. I think every time a storm comes, What's wrong? What, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Lord, that can be a natural response. Help move me. Help move all of us from there to a place of looking to you, of trusting in you, of having confidence in your victory there, of our sharing in your victory of death and resurrection, Jesus, there, of, of our confidence that you're caring for us there, that you're moving in us there not woodenly and stoically, but truly and authentically. And that we can be your witnesses there. That we can break bread and give thanks there. That we can tell others about a life and a hope and a love that is there, that is real, that is the life that is truly life. So hear us in all this, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.